This episode is brought to you by Paramount Plus. Get in, loser! Mean Girls is now streaming on Paramount Plus. Join Katie Heron as she meets the plastics and Tina Fey's new twist on the modern classic. Get ready for more of the rumors, backstabbing, and jokes you loved from the original movie with some fetch surprises. Rated PG 13. Wear pink and head to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Hello and welcome to episode 198 of the Washed Up Emo podcast. I am Tom Mullen from washedupemo.com. Today on the podcast, we welcome Walter Schreifels. Walter has been in some of the most influential hardcore bands, including Gorilla Biscuits, Youth of Today, Quicksand, Rival Schools, and the label he ran, Some Records. We also touch on emo, post-hardcore, and his life today. Walter couldn't be nicer during this interview. He's still huge in the scene and makes music for the masses. Life pro tip, enjoy the legends today. Thank you to all the Patreon supporters out there. If you want to support the podcast and everything about it, head on over to patreon.com slash washed up emo. For more information on the podcast, links to purchase merchandise, my book series, Anthology of Emo, all social media, including Twitch, go to washedupemo.com. This is episode 198 of the Washed Up Emo podcast with Walter Schreifels. Don't forget the struggle. Don't forget the streets don't sell out an open letter to the scene. Don't forget the struggle. Don't forget the streets don't sell out an open talking about blessings uh during uh the pandemic uh being up here has been been really great because uh you know i've i've had this house up here for a while and it's been like a weekend kind of escape but having it as uh you know living in the in the in upstate new york it's not just to escape the city you know especially early on that new york was pretty gnarly and uh so I, I was happy for that but you know I, I still go back to New York and I have an apartment there, but um, I just really loved living in this, uh, you know, rural community, you know, where it, within shooting distance of New York, but, um, you know, just watching the seasons change, the, the slowness of all that. And, um, you know, even the winter, I, I, it's just like when it snows, it's beautiful. Like when it snows in New York, it's beautiful for, you know, 20 minutes, an hour or two. And then it's just, yeah. yeah. And then it turns into shit, you know? <laughs> so up here, it just stays gorgeous. So my feeling is just like, if it's going to be cold, it might as well just be snow the whole time. Right. And, uh, so, so I'm, I'm loving it as much as I've come up here over the years. I mean, there's just when you're, when I'm so looking forward to the spring, not only because it'd be warmer, but I, I just remember last year during, as the spring kind of opened up, like the subtleties of every day that go by and how like just little things change, like that little thing you know, bloomed this week. You know what I mean? Like I've never seen that before because it just didn't happen on a weekend. You know what I mean? And the animals, the, the critters that'll start coming out like, oh shit, that guy, you know, he he, he just woke up, you know? So I've, I've really appreciated that. It's been, it's been great. As a human being, you know, I'm grateful for this experience, you know, and I consider myself as not just like a city person. I mean, I, I grew up in, in Rockaway beach for the most part. Right. So I was around the ocean and, and the beach, you know, so I, I feel like 
I didn't have like the typical, you know, kind of city life that you might think someone from New York would have. Um, it was a little bit more naturey, um, but being up here is just like I'm, I'm appreciating appreciating it a lot. That's great. Did I? I don't know if you knew this. I know that you mentioned um, Bernie Sanders on a bunch of stuff, and it's worth mentioning. Did you know that his soon-to-be wife started the punk club teen center in Burlington? Did you know that? That Bernie's wife started the punk club in, in Vermont? Yeah. In Burlington? Jane Sanders. I did not know that. So this, this is all about you, but I thought this would be fun just because it's hardcore related, is that Jane mm-hmm. Sanders went to Europe and traveled and saw all these hostels and, and flats and all these places, and there was these teen centers where they had kid stuff during the day, shows at night. So she told Bernie, they weren't even married yet. She told Bernie about it when he was mayor and started 242 Maine and in, I think, 85 or 86. And, um, you know, it was like, that's where I started for, that's how I saw shows. Like, that's how I got into punk. So when I found out, like, oh, yeah, the mayor's, you know, uh, whatever girlfriend or wife at the time, you know, helped start this. Like, it's kind of nuts. So Bernie's the reason I'm into hardcore. Bernie's the reason I'm punk. That's <laughs> He's so goddamn cool. Like, where does it end, man? I know. It's just amazing. <laughs> wow, that is very cool. It's actually two four two. Maine's got that. a doc coming up too. They have a documentary coming out later this year, um, talking about that 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 venue. It actually was around longer than Gilman Street, um, as like the longest running like city run like you know uh, uh-huh. punk center. So um, no one would think about that, you know, on your way to Burlington in the freezing cold. <laughs> <laughs> that's fantastic. And you know, that's very, very in, in line with, uh, with Bernie's kind of democratic socialism kind of, uh, you know, look to Europe kind of philosophy, because I, when I went over to Europe for the first time, uh, with, uh, youth of today in 1989, we, I was kind of shocked that we barely played a single professional club, except maybe in England, every single show was at a, like a youth center or at a squat that was, that was partially funded by the government. And so you would get there and whereas the United States, you know, they'd basically be like, we hate you, fuck yourself and just play your show and leave because we despise you. Um, the, uh, the Europeans would be like, okay, your meals at this time and here's your place to sleep and all these kind of, uh, it wasn't like they were, luxuries but just that they were like the basic kind of thing to like make you feel like a human being with some like dignity and which you just don't find in the you know you i what did not experience in the the american system really at all i mean you'll get it sometimes nowadays i mean maybe because i'm coming through with like a, a bigger pop more popular band or or something you know where there's more money involved so there's like contracts right so you have to have like you know what you agree to in the contract you know like we need uh a six pack of this or you know that kind of shit or like we need we need sandwiches or guacamole or whatever and they'll bring it but in europe we were just teenagers in a shitty band and they were providing all these things like which you know bernie sanders is like really that's his argument it seems to me you know uh so Fuck, that's a cool, cool connection. And next time I see Jane, I'll, I know what I'll talk to her about. 
I bet if you, you know, bring that up, um, I'm sure, you know, that it would be fond memories because it was like, it wasn't just the punk kids. It was like they had kids doing like coloring during the day. Like it wasn't, you know, it was right. so, um, so just those types of places that I think bands remembered that too. They're like, wait a minute, this is run by like high school and college and like locals. You know, it wasn't this like machine. And I think, I feel like you going to Europe and me seeing that kind of, embedded me this feeling of not just DIY but like the 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 bigger world like look outside what's forced down your throat do you feel that way oh yeah and I mean I'm just thinking about this you know uh I was just thinking about how the in the 80s and and uh you know the crack epidemic and you know the the we need to you know engage the youth you know, to, to protect them from, uh, all these temptations and, and all the shoes. So we got to have like a youth center, you know what I mean? And, the, and we're going to raise money for a youth center and there's no fucking youth centers in America. You know what I mean? Or if they are, they should have like, they should have engaged kids on that level because, um, you know, with hardcore and punk, it's really like, the kids are it's got this sort of like for us by us kind of thing and if the government is is coming through or even if it's you know um even if you want to do it in a sort of capitalistic sense even if it's like you know some sort of co corporation that's getting a tax break you know i think that's shittier but um but if there's adequate funding and uh and and you know a, a sort of uh, you know, uh, someone that, and people that are on mission for the right reasons, you know, these things can run themselves in such a cool way. And I saw that in Europe and all the kids, you know, they build like skate parks and shit. So kids are skateboarding, kids are, um, you know, forming bands, rehearsing, or even at the squats, they would have shit like that. And the squatters, there'd be people there that are like drug addicts, but they're like, have a place to sleep. So they don't need to like necessarily like do the kind of shit that, that drug addicts need to do here to, to survive. Um, and, uh, you know, maybe in a state like Vermont, it's the, it's just, you know, there's a certain kind of, you know, uh, it's, it's either small enough, uh, demographically, uh, you know, suitable for that kind of stuff or, or whatever the reasons progressive are mayors. like <laughs> progressive mayors yeah, that people that are able to like be able to, to break through. Cause Bernie Sanders, I'm sure there's like a lot of people out in Vermont that could be easily, you know, kind of scared away by some idea of like a socialist thing, meaning, okay, well now it's going to be Stalin you know, or, or something like that. When really we're, we're talking about people living with some fucking dignity and if people feel respected and can live with dignity and can express themselves creatively, they are going to be cooler neighbors. They are going to be cooler people to um, bump into. And they're, they're going to be less likely to be hanging out in dark alleys trying to create trouble for you. And so society is like, people are more fulfilled. People are in a better mood. Any sort of closed space that you have to share with other human beings, you, you, you having more or you having some sort of place in the hierarchy that's disproportionate to like where you should be, you know, like when you're talking about greed and, and all these kind of like um, things that, you know, human beings fall prey to. Um, 
I think in, in the punk hardcore scene and, and certainly in, in a place like Vermont, um, the, in some ways those things have been uh, successfully, you know, there's been successful uh, alternatives presented that didn't lead to fucking gulags. You know what I mean? It's, it led to kids like finding themselves, kids, kids, uh, you know, doing a fanzine, kids like making a band, kids like finding some sort of subject that they're, that is meaningful to them and, and can give meaning, meaning to their story. And, and that's, I think that's what people fucking want, you know, more, more than, than anything. Right. And it, and I just think this topic makes sense because I feel really lucky that that existed. I always looked at New York or Boston and felt they got all the shows or even Montreal, like when I couldn't drive up there, but mm-hmm. knowing that the bands mm-hmm. that did stop, I think it made an impact. They're like, Oh, wait a minute this is a connection or, and the people that I connected with there were from different high schools. That was different back then or middle schools. They, that you didn't know anybody else. You didn't know the other town. You didn't know the other kids. And so I'd go to the mall and there'd be kids there that they'd be like, how do you, my dad would be like, how do you know that guy? And I'm like, Oh, I go to shows with them. And I think that continues. And I, I'm sure you've mentioned this before about that sort of, if someone says minor threat or Fugazi, I don't have to ask any more questions. I can just we, can, like, we got we can work with it. we can work with each other. It's right. gonna be all right. And when you said work <laughs> with us, that's what I mean. Like you had to work together. This is not they weren't easy. I'm sure there was a lot of bullshit, but you at least had this sort of coming from this place where it wasn't a transaction. Yeah, I think you know if you're falling into these kind of bands, you know, and and minor threat is is or Fugazi or or you know. I would, you know, there's plenty of bands to throw in there that you are, you know, that this person is subscribing to some really core uh, things that, that, you know, relate to, um, there's certain core, I think hardcore is very philosophical, you know, and I would think minor threats, a a good example of the the kind of like strong kind of like, and, and I think in that that's more of, of the, the sort of, left-leaning aspect of it but i think it doesn't even have to be like put in those kind of terms actually like in in modern ideas of left and right it has to do with like community spirit supporting each other doing shit yourself um you know uh that if you understand minor threat there's a lot of philosophical commonality that you can you can relate to people because they're just if if you if you weren't that way before, after you hear minor threat or one of these things, and if that, if that speaks to you, you're not going to be the same. You're going to know that there's other people creating things from, they're not waiting for other people to give them permission to do it and that they understand community and they understand that, um, you know, you call on your friends and you, and, and, and everyone can play a part and you can express yourself. And, you know, again, it, it goes like, you know, people want, they want to play out their story in a way. And I think hardcore enables people to, it's such a, it's, it's like a, a toolbox, a very basic toolbox that you can then do that. You know, like before that, you know, as a kid, you know, my parents, the way I understood the way the life worked at an early age was, was, you know, you kind of do school, all this shit, and then you go to college. And then after college, you know, someone calls you and gives you a job, whatever that is, you know, uh, you go to college for whatever that is and you get the job or you join the, the fire department, you're a fireman, you know, that's what you do with hardcore. You're given this box of tools to where you could just, you could do anything, 
You know what I mean? And it's about your expression and it's not about the end of it. It's about the doing of it. And, and, and there's so much baked into it that, um, you know, that, and also, you know, you could go, you could have like a speeding ticket or something and a cop comes up, pulls up and you say agnostic front, you're off, you're off. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's a, it's a, it's a friendship organization. You know, like our parents had maybe like Korea or Vietnam or some shit and they would like look after each other, you know, veteran type of shit. And we have CBGB's agnostic, you know, we have hardcore. And <laughs> That's totally that, true. That's that works for me too. Yeah. That happened for me at the Apple store. Someone saw my iTunes when the, your computer still had that. And they looked, they were like, wait a minute, you, you like those bands? Yeah, hang on a second. And magically my phone yeah. gets fixed for free and I was out the door. My girlfriend was like, how did that happen? I was like, don't worry about it. Like, That's how it works. <laughs> That's how it works. But, it's like this, there's, a, there's a Freemason's aspect to the, <laughs> totally. to the, to the hardcore thing too. Because if I was working at Apple, someone came up and they had a cool, they were into hardcore, I'd be like... Dude, I'm hooking you up, man. Come on. <laughs> For sure. Uh, yeah. What about, you know, what's been great about, I think, the era that you were a part of, and I want to get to the another era related to it, but it's so well-documented. I think there was a lot of people there with the mm -hmm. New York City hardcore scene and well-documented. You've been, you've been talk, you've talked about this a lot and you, you know, it was your start, but what what hasn't been said or related? What's a scene that you visited that doesn't get talked about enough? I think with hardcore, there's um, there is everyone kind of has their own version, and I think that I benefited from being part of the sort of second wave that got really well packaged and and kind of was close enough to the beginning that, uh, you know, we're early, we're early in there. Although, you know, I had never saw minor threat. So I, I felt like, fuck, I missed the whole thing. You know, like it, it had already happened. I blew it. Uh, I'll have to settle for youth of today. Um, and, uh, but I think each, like the people that were into minor threat scene by the time, like, you know, it grill biscuits came around. They were just like, I'm not into that stupid shit. You know what I mean? Like their hardcore was, was that. And then, um, the people that can't, you know, came up in hardcore in the nineties, um, their hardcore is something different than, than mine. And I think that they're, you know, I remember a lot of my friends just like wigging out, like who the fuck is have heart? Like, what is that? You know, like, did you hear about this hardcore band? Blah, blah, blah. Like there's different, times where where people enter this kind of universe and when they enter it gives them the structure for what what their experience is and i think that that's kind of an important thing because you know i'm doing a show on uh, for vans channel 66 now called new direction and the, and the base of it is about hardcore so they asked me to do the show about hardcore i'm like yeah you know i've I have pretty discerning tastes about hardcore, but it's about 25, 30 years out of date. So I've been brushing up on all this shit. And, you know, maybe a year ago, it would be very hard to penetrate my ears with some new cool hardcore. I just, my, they're at, my ears were, were kind of, you know, it's, it's about what I like and, and anything else is just going to be an immediate uh, analysis of how it's derivative of something else that I came before it and is better. So 
you have to shake yourself from that mindset. Um, and I think you have to shake yourself from that mindset in life generally, but, um, people calcify. And so, uh, doing this show, I have forced myself to like break my break through that. And, and I've discovered so much cool music and just, it's about expression. You know, again, it's just this basic ass toolbox. It doesn't have all this really tricked out cool computer shit in it. It's more like, you know, a, a, a fucking, you get a, a triangle, um, you get a pencil, a hammer, like six nails, a stapler and, uh, you know, eight pieces of wood of different sizes. <laughs> you know what I mean? And, and you got, you've got to build something awesome out of that. Or it's like a really low level Lego set. You know what I mean? Like not one of the tricked out ones. And you have to make up something that is meaningful to you. And, and that's where it pretty much starts and ends because in hardcore, there's no careerism. If there's careerism in it, you're a fool or, or really, yeah, you're or naive, you know, because there's, there's no way to do that really. It just maybe could happen somehow. Like there are bands that are like making a living at playing this kind of music. That is really, really, really wild that that occurs, but they have to work fucking hard for it. Um, and, uh, so I think those ingredients and those limited tools, um, are really, you know, and, and, you know, as you dig deeper into it, these, you know, these different relationships that we were talking about or these different um, philosophical uh, ideas in which I think were presented by people like, yeah, like Ema Kai is like kind of our Noam Chomsky, I would say, you know, or, or he is to me, um, or even like Black Flag, you know, Black Flag is just, you think of it as a punk or a hardcore, but it's really not. It's really something bigger and, and philosophical and, uh, it's talking about life and about moving through life and, 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 uh, you know, through sound, through, uh, getting in a van, you know, all these different kind of things, um, that that's super powerful. So, you know, could I say one thing about hardcore? I, you know, there's too much. It's like saying too, it's about, it's a reflection of, of life. I think that there's like, in my era, it's more male dominated because I think there's more of this like anger side to it that I think is, is really wound up in like kind of young, angry men, you know, like we're teenagers, like trying to deal with, with maybe their, their family situation is fucked up. Cause I knew a lot of people that had fucked up family situations that were into hardcore and, you know, we wouldn't sit all sit around and talk about it for sure, but you knew it was there. And I think it attracts that. It's a good way to like, you know, you hear Ian Mackay, he sounds like a fucking mad dad in a way you know it's, it's like an echo of that you know but at the same time he's someone that you're you might look to for a, like a cool older brother with some more knowledge or experience or something like that so i think a lot of that played out but i think nowadays there's more of a female presence and i think that that is awesome that 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 has finally broken through and i think makes it all much more interesting and and, and cooler and also that you know, uh, you know, different genders, different, you know, gay people, like it, it's just that, that it's opened up in such a, in such a way. I mean, there was always, always those elements there, but that it's more wide open and accepted and that there's, you know, of course you could say that there's cliques within it, but, um, 
but I think in, in the big picture, it's not as 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 a, on the one hand, it's more accessible, uh, but it's 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 more democratic and and inclusive. Yeah, in, in such a good way. Definitely. Well, I mean, you said earlier about being present. Um, that was um, we're talking about Ian. I just makes sense because I remember him. I pulled up to the Discord house. I get out. And I was like, what's going on? And he was so matter of fact. He's like, Tom, I'm picking weeds. Like he literally told me what he was doing at that moment. And it was, I liked that. He was in the moment. And I feel like your show, when you're listening to those new bands or hearing something you've never heard, you're in that same moment that you might've been without 4,000 notifications coming through your phone. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's a, I think it's really hard, you know, for people to be present, you know? So I think that's at a, at a premium and I think hardcore, you know, when I think of, you know, let's just keep making it about Ian, but, um, you know, those minor threat songs are simple sounding, you know, basically the chord progressions are all these sort of different boxes and, you know, rectangles and, and, you know, some angles to them. And the lyrics are pretty straightforward, but there's an, such an art to it, but without any pretense, it's just all function. And, um, like the art is just like an aspect of something serving its purpose, serving its function. Like the, the, you know, why, you know, like the, like the kind of the beauty that you see in, in, in nature, you know what I mean? Where something is, or you see the beauty you see in a person that is, in harmony with their function, you know what I mean? They're doing their thing, you know, like that, that's what makes a person beautiful, you know, whether they're, they're gifted at a sport or, you know, music or, 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 or whatever their, their thing might be. Um, that kind of presence is really, um, I, I think so it's something everyone needs to experience. And I think hardcore is, 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 uh, you know, kind of one way to, to figure that out. And I, I think, um, I always think of Ian as very philosophical and not in a pretentious way. I think he would probably like gag at that idea. He, I don't, I think he's like not into being taken more serious than he takes himself, which I think he's pretty humble. Um, but I think that that by him maybe just being there early, and, I, and again, I think I would also say Black Flag were, were very philosophical. Um, uh, that that at least to me, I didn't know it at the time, but I think in, upon reflection, you know, that's always been an appeal to me, like trying to gain some wisdom through the the way that the music works. Not only just not only just the the, the lyrics, but how the music works, how the production of the of the of the the actual object was achieved the, the, the system around the object, like whether it's, you know, we're talking about the club, you know, like what, what is the, what is the means of, of delivering all this, like all those different aspects, um, you know, have some sort of philo- philosophical idea behind them or, you know, political ideas behind them. There, there's a, uh, there's a lot to be learned about life manifesting through it even though when you listen to it one of the main things i I liked about hardcore when i first listened to it was that it sounded so awful 
You know what I mean? It sounded so just awful to people. Like you, you, you could listen to metal and people would be thinking, oh, I don't like metal. That sounds bad. But hardcore, you couldn't even know what it was. It just sounded so shitty. And um, that made me feel cool that I had broken the code in, in the same way that when I first heard My Bloody Valentine, like it, it sounded like this wash and like that I could somehow I could get through the wash to this, 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 you know, core song that was underneath it that, that I could relate to. That's just awesome. You know, and I, I feel that way about hardcore, even though there's all different shades of it, you know, some of it's not challenging at all. Some of it just, you know, it, it's again, maybe the music maybe isn't even that wild, but maybe just the background of where it came from, or just sort of, sort of the philosophical ideas, you know, cause obviously you have bands like, Rise Against, for example, who are massively popular <clears throat> and their songs are catchy. Um, but it, it, what separates them from all the other bands that are, say, massively catchy and popular like they are is that they came up through the system of hardcore and punk. And the, the things that they were trying to achieve, the goals that they were trying to achieve were in line with that philosophically you know, whether they thought about it or not. I mean, most people probably aren't. They're just kids or they wouldn't think of it in the context of philosophy. But you fucking know why this is cool and why that's not and why you take this road and not that road. It's like, if, if you don't know it, you'll come up against, uh, you'll come, you'll bang your head and then you'll, then you'll switch course, you know? Totally. I love that. Well, I mean, do you talk about the other subsets of hardcore? The one that I thought would be fun to touch on as well is post-hardcore and mm -hmm. your connection, you know, that quicksand with it. Can you talk about that, that shift where, um, actually we could talk about shift. I love shift. Um, the band, mm -hmm. um, but, sorry. Um, but no, I meant like, take my wife, please. Yeah, I know. I did not do that on purpose. Oh, I promise you. Um, that was good. That was good. They, um, but that, can you like that? I guess being in there in that moment and, you know, bands like Helmet or Handsome or Orange Nine or Far or, mm -hmm. you know, Shift and those kind of things. What can you talk about that, that transition to post hardcore? Sure, sure. I mean, I can, I can, the first thing I thought of was like when I remember when I first heard the term post hardcore and my heart just dropped, I was like, oh, this sucks. This really? is not going to be good. Yeah, because I mean, it, we're hardcore sounds really cool. And now we're the thing that happened after the really cool thing, <laughs> you know? So, I, I, And that's, and, and that's how this whole genre is going to be defined. My, my great work here is going to be defined as the, the thing that happened after the thing that was cool. And so I was bummed on that. And the other thing is so funny because it, it washed up emo uh, is such a great, great name uh, for a podcast uh, for a thing, because uh, the other one that I'm associated with too is emo. So it's like, uh, you know, emo is is like emotion you know what i mean so it's like you don't you can't really be like i'm fucking emo today yeah you know it's just this sort of like um you know it kind of immediately uh you know sort of uh parodies it's whatever it, the, the music it, it, it's like if you're making a song and you're saying some important thing like that is meaningful to you whether that's like, you know, about your girlfriend or whatever it could be and see, even I'm playing into like a sort of stereotype there, you know, that it, that it's, it's meaningful to you. Right. So now I listen to your thing and then I, and I just say like my, my way to categorize is, Oh, it's just emotional. 
So it's like, you're not fucking listening to what I said here. You're just immediately dismiss. It's the same dismissive kind of name for it. Um, I would say to answer your question, you know, I remember hearing of emo first as, you know, kind of associated with the, the revolution summer for mm-hmm. anybody. I don't know how, you know, how, how steeped in this kind of lore yeah. your listeners are, Definitely. but, um, uh, you know, you're talking about rights of spring. It's, it's a DC kind of movement of these bands like that were maybe formally, you know, a more tighter hardcore sound, you know, maybe more aggressive, just kind of went freaky and, um, you know, started playing more dissonantly more open, less about aggression, more about, you know, sort of expression. And the, 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 I remember hearing about it was that, yeah, people in DC are crazy, man. There's this thing called emo and like rights of spring play and people cry at the shows. What year was that? And, uh, I would have been, yeah, 86, 87, probably wow. when I would have heard, heard that. So it would have been like probably, you know, when it was happening or slightly after, um, I think of it as like 85 is probably mm-hmm. revolution summer. And so, yeah, so I was, you know, going to shows in, in 85 and 86. So I would have, you know, on my way past like circle jerks, suicidal tendencies and dead Kennedy's probably would have heard something about it. Um, but, uh, but that idea of like people crying at shows, whether it was true or whether it wasn't to me, that was emo. And like, it was sort of an, awesome image but at the same time i was into hardcore so it was sort of an image that you just thought oh man people in dc are pussies now like that's that's whack you know what i mean so um but you know i always had a respect for dc as the kind of more intelligent of the hardcore scenes you know like new york's thing was an intellect new york's thing was sort of toughness and um so you know i i kind of had that mixed reaction to that idea but I think when, um, you know, post-hardcore comes up, you know, we were basically looking at what Fugazi was, you know what I mean? Like Fugazi would have been the next really big challenge to like what was going on in New York with like Revelation Records and all that kind of stuff. Like hardcore was really reborn in a way, you know, Revelation in New York really like picked up the pieces of that kind of early scene and relaunched it and kind of branded it a bit harder and made it more accessible for kids in the suburbs, um, you know, around New York and, and around Pennsylvania and, and even like up in Boston. And it was really effective in kind of revitalizing and, and creating new channels and, you know, kind of tour uh, possibilities and, and shit like that. And, um, and that was kind of going good. And even in DC, they had Dagnasty, which was very appealing and kind of to, to that, to our world as well. Uh, you know, that it had this kind of pedigree from the earlier time, but yet it really made a lot of sense with, uh, with what we were doing. Gorilla Biscuits was like heavily influenced by, by Dagnasty and, and everyone listened to that record quite a lot. Um, but then when Fugazi came out, they really kind of flipped it in another way that um you know hearing waiting room for the first time like from Ian mckay of course i loved embrace um which uh but you know never got to see them but hearing fugazi and that they were a band i could go see and um you know i saw them for the first time at the Loeb center in this like teeny room in, at nyu for you know a can of soup I gave, I gave a can of soup and i got it for free and there was probably like i don't know 50 people in this like little room and it was 
fucking amazing. And it was just like next level. Like I immediately thought like what I'm doing, what we're all doing with hardcore is fine and good, but this is fucking transcendent. And so, you know, immediately started to think about how I could do something else, something more, something bigger, something more open to, 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 to get out of the sort of, um, you know, the confines of hardcore, you know, in a way or how I saw them. And, uh, you know, cause in hardcore, if you, if you have a successful record and people love you and then you make your next record and it's sort of like trying to find a new audience in any which way or is different or strays from your own path. Um, you're in a lot of trouble, man. They might just hate you. They might just go like, you know what? Fuck you now. Now I don't like you. So it's very confining, uh, in that way, you know, and, and as much as I can wax poetically about hardcore, if there's also a ma- a big conservative streak in it and, uh, and reactionary streak in it. And, um, Fugazi because of Ian Mackay and, 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 you know, to a lesser extent at that time, uh, Guy had the, the kind of gravitas to transcend that in just this massive swoop. And, um, so to me, yeah, that's post hardcore, you know, even though I don't know if that's what they called it at that time, cause it was really just Fugazi. And, but they, to me, for me, hardcore was now over when Fugazi came out and now it was post, I wouldn't have called it post hardcore. I don't know what I would have called it otherwise. I just think it just, that that name took, you know, I guess post-punk is another kind of, I guess it's probably, it's mirroring post-punk, which is also dope. In post-punk, I think of like Wire, which is also a big, a big influence on, um, on Ian McKay or, you know, or even like uh, Psychic TV or, or, you know, there, there's a lot of, post-punk that, that I, you know, uh, gang of four or stuff like that, that I, I think is sort of smart. It, it kind of like is smarter than punk, I guess. So I guess post-hardcore has a little bit of that to it. It's, it's funny. like, you're so just going to say, it's funny. You mentioned that slight though. Like that's what I have such a problem with. Like if you, again, the word got bastardized later, that's not, that has, it's, we're still in the nineties. It, it's mm-hmm. or the eighties and nineties. So what, the the time even then it was slighted and you didn't want it associated and your reaction to when I said post hardcore was that same sort of like well shit it's gonna get called that now it's gonna be thought of as this and sometimes I think that still permeates that that feeling that feeling yeah because it and it I have to say again it, I can remember years later and you know and it even starts with punk I mean I was watching the end of the century documentary about the Ramones not too long ago and you know, the Ramones existed before punk was what the music was called. So when the Sex Pistols blew up and it was marketed as punk, then the Ramones became known as a punk band. And on the one hand, it's pretty cool because you're part of this sensation. But in the end, now you're a fucking punk band. So that means the the whole world of just being a band is kind of taken from you to some degree. And I, and you were, I think we were just talking about black flag too, like black flag are seen as a punk or a hardcore band. And yet they're something else, you know what I mean? But yet they're stuck in that box, you know? Um, and I feel that that's just kind of part of what journalism is about and people need to call something to write about it and all that kind of stuff. And like, I'm not crying too hard about it. It's just like, you know, if I got, 
you know, being hardcore, I'm pretty content with that because at least it's just like got a good name and it sounds like elemental. Post-hardcore sounds like, you know, yeah, it's after the thing that was elemental. Uh, you know, and I felt like I remember, you know, fast forwarding from that to when Rival Schools was coming up. That's what I was about to say. Um, that, yeah, we're, we're, you know, Rival Schools, you know, I'm still kind of on a, on a similar trajectory i mean i'm not thinking myself of myself as post hardcore or anything like that i'm just trying to make a record that i think will appeal to the people that like my work and at the same time be you know going to different places you know uh so not repeating myself or you know not 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 repeating myself for, for the sake of doing that but just to to you know you have to risk stuff or you have to i can't authentically repeat myself it's like telling you know comedians are amazing because they can tell the same joke authentically over and over again and i just couldn't i find that hard to do with music you know like to reenact that emotion is is very challenging so with rival schools i was trying to do something like that and then when the record came out um more so in europe because we got a much more of a of a push over there, but, um, then in the United States, but, you know, we were in the enemy as the, you know, part of the emo sensation. So, you know, now we're an emo band in this, in this world. And especially then, you know, you're, you're talking about like, you know, and I'm really like musicologizing the whole shit, but you know, you, you had Nirvana, you know, and that kind of blew things open. So you have like, he has blue hair or whatever. So then you're thinking we can be wild, we can be loud. And so then, you know, that kind of like, Kurt dies, et cetera. Then Green Day come and Green Day are like younger, cuter, poppier, you know, like they have blue hair and they're called punk and they love it. And they're punk. And, you know, we got rancid. So now we can all be punk. And then, um, the next reaction coming up is all these like vagrant bands that are fans of Fugazi fans of, you know, uh, quicksand fans of, of, um, these things that had come, you know, maybe five, they were a little bit younger. Yeah, but they were aware of those things. They weren't really chasing Green Day as much as they were chasing, you know, yeah, like Ian MacKay or, or, you know, I don't, I don't want to flatter myself that it, they're following what I had done, except that people have told me that they have. And so, um, so when they come into it, the whole stage has been set by Green Day, and then they show up as the thoughtful young men at that time. So then they get called emo. So now they're like rehashing this title from this, you know, revolution summer thing and casting it on these guys that are basically writing like, you know, uh, thoughtful, you know, lyrical songs that have like pop elements to them, but also have these like musical elements that harken back to, you know, legit kind of respected um, bands and, and sources and all that. And then, but now they're emo, you know, to, to kind of, and they, you know, they blow up as a result. So I guess in a sense, like, it's cool. Like, I don't think that Chris from Saves the Day was like, I'm going to make the greatest emo band in the world and we're just going to emo the whole fucking scene up. You know what I mean? Like, no, he was making a band that he had his, you know, influences and, 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 you know, he was trying to 
channel that into his own story. But in the end, it doesn't fucking matter. You're in an emo band, so just deal with it. <laughs> you know what I mean? But also, when I first heard that record, Dan from EVR sent me the demos. I still have them on tape. And he was like, uh-huh. check, he's like, check this out. And I was like, what is this? And it was hardcore to me. It was like, this is hardcore. Like, you can hear Lifetime. You can hear all this stuff in this. And I was like, this yeah. is awesome. But then that sort of environment community starts to come into play and you meet other people. And I love, like, I actually, the, the, the preface is I'm fine with the word morphing. The, my problem is when someone forgets where it came from before and they don't sort of like, I don't know, do your homework a little bit and know that, you know, punk goes back to a certain point or these words have ambiguous meaning and just kind of just get an idea of what it is about. And of course, after 2001, which was Dashboard, Jimmy, Saves the Day, Thursday, yeah. all those things. I mean, I was working at TVT Records, 4th and Lafayette, so Tower Records was nearby, other music, CBs was mm-hmm. down the street. As a 21, 22-year-old mm-hmm. kid, it was nuts. I was getting called into the A&R guy's office to be like, please tell me what bands are happening right now. That's what it was. Yeah, they didn't understand, they they didn't, didn't understand it. They didn't get it. And I loved that it morphed. It's just weird after it that it got it lost a little bit of the of the meaning and i think sometimes i think about post hardcore in that same way that it got and again that's okay i just i don't know i feel like i just i want to hand out you know dictionaries to people or or, or not dictionaries but like history books to be like all right so here's what happened before yeah um, not yeah, like yeah, a but gatekeeping I mean, you, you but i mean you and i are, are are in a group of people that like are following that kind of shit I, i'm also like simp- uh, not something but, but you, you know if you're like, okay, in 2001 or something like that, and you're in high school somewhere and this music, you know, you were listening, you know, my daughter's 13. So she's listening to like whatever pop music is coming up on uh, TikTok or whatever like that. But one day something's going to come along that has some different kind of feeling that she my, you know, she might not really give a shit whether, you know, where it came from or what the, what the influence was and why this, she's just going to like it. And and the bands have the benefit of like having done that work, they can completely rip off. You know, I remember when Green Day, Green Day came out, my first feeling was, okay, well, they're just kind of doing what the descendants did. You know what I mean? Like in a way, you know what I mean? Like, you know, that's a cool idea. Let's do the descendants or, uh, or, or rancid or just kind of like doing the clash, you know what I mean? But if you hear the rancid and you have no reference for that and you see this dude with the Mohawk and their fucking songs are catchy as fuck, like who cares, man, they're doing it. You know what I mean? So like, you know, leave it to nerds like you and I to like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, give them credit or take it away, depending on how, you know, well they've reinterpreted the source material. But um, it doesn't, it doesn't really, especially at that time when record labels had so much power to kind of like give things a chance, you know what I mean? Like here's the eight bands you have a a choice of liking, you know, this, in this month long period. You know what I mean? So you're, you know, or on a, on a given release date, you know what I mean? Like four of them have, you know, of these like 16 bands, like six of them are heavy, three of them are, you know, R and B for the, you know what I mean? Like, and, and you just 
thumbs up or thumbs down the ones that you like, you know, and, and that would be all you'd have, you know what I mean? So I think the emo movement of that time, grouping all those bands in that regard made sense and was, and was successful. I mean, those bands still have careers off of the, off of records that came out then, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's a good end, but I think, the problem is, is like, these guys are just making songs like Chris's record uh, or Saves the Day was like, I know he's told me himself, like he was super influenced by Grill Business and of course Lifetime. Um, and he was telling his story, you know what I mean? And, but it's just, you know, if I'm going to talk about Saves the Day, it's like, I don't even have to say it. Like they're just emo, you know, and, and that's helpful. And at the same time, if you want to talk about it, it's annoying. <laughs> you know. <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, then. But the, how did you feel <laughs> being in that enemy and having that as a? I mean, you kind of. I think you're a little bit. You've had another life. It's almost you've had these different lives, and I think that helped. It wasn't just you'd only done rival schools or only done quicksand. There was these pieces to it. But having that attached to you, what was your thought? I saw the upside of it. I just, I saw it as like, this gives us context with, for a band that was otherwise kind of like, you know, cause we weren't the same generation of those bands and we didn't have like, say Jimmy, like Jim, Jimmy Eat World had the benefit of like hit songs. You know what I mean? Like we didn't have hit songs. Our songs were still like rooted in, you know, this kind of uh, hardcore post hardcore world. So for us, like it, I saw the benefit of having it giving us context and for people who didn't know us and for people who did know where we were coming from, they would be able to see through it. So I, I saw it as a net positive. I, I mean, um, yeah. Um, I wanted to, yeah. cause we were talking about rival schools and I'm so happy we are because um, United by fate to me is perfect. Um, it still sounds Thank new. You. It's, it it doesn't have a time period to it. I I mean I want to talk about a couple songs just because I've always wanted to ask you, but just you know that time period, two thousand one, major label, the radio game. Um, I mean I remember getting merch. I don't know who at Polygram had, or whoever had sent mm -hmm. it to every single college radio station on the planet. Everyone had that shirt. What was that like? Like in that time period, around that record. Um, uh, it was a good time. I mean, it was, it was really cool. I mean, it really rival schools started from, uh, when quicksand broke up, I got picked up as a solo artist. And in that time I was making some initial demos. I was doing a band under the name world's fastest car and had, had done some really cool shit actually. But then there was just sort of a, a you know, a, if you worked in the music business, you might have heard or remembered this time, but there was just, you know, a lot of shifting co companies and, uh, you know, owners and mergers and all that kind of shit. And so while I was on the record label and was a solo artist now uh, with, you know, which is, was really cool. Um, the label was in the sort of, uh, you know, in betweener period. And so then I just got stuck in this game of, making demos for my A&R guy and then being told to like make more demos. And that is just the worst thing that you can do to an artist, but it just happens because that's the nature of the beast. Cause they don't want to spend, you know, in that budget year, you know, a million dollars to like, you know, do this 
yeah, do this fucking thing. They, they don't have the confidence or it's just not a priority enough because it's not a known entity. You know, I went with quicksand is like, we had quicksand. They signed us cause they wanted that thing. Whereas me being a solo artist is, is certainly more of an unknown identity. And, um, and so, yeah, I just got shuffled around in this sort of like demo fucking zone. And, you know, I started to like, not even really be able to judge whether my own material was good anymore because it wasn't being released. I wasn't getting any feedback. I wasn't beyond like, you know, people that were much older than me and worked for a record company, you know what I mean? Who are just like following each other's tales all the time, you know? So it, it wasn't a good atmosphere, but at some point uh, through all that malaise and bullshit, um, you know, one person bought the record label finally, and they just settled on that one person. And I was called into a meeting at the record label. And, uh, you know, I was probably just run out of money and was probably just like, you know, thinking about other, I was thinking about becoming a fireman, I think at that point, cause I was just so sick of waiting around. And, um, I got into a meeting, um, uh, with, with some really cool higher ups at the label that I, that were fans. And uh, Rob Stevenson, who's a really big A and R person, I was got to my work champion. With Rob. Yeah, Rob's great. Yeah, so Rob was my champion, and wow. uh, we are Cohen, and um, and uh, just you know, kind of it was kind of like a sick power meeting I was in, and they're like, <laughs> "Yeah, we want you to make a record," and we are fucking psyched on you, and you know, like all these people had been dropped, and you know, it was like me and PJ Harvey were left, and I was like, "Holy shit! All right, cool, let's do this." So, you know, I kind of took some of the better material that I felt confident about from older stuff and kind of assembled a band. And, uh, you know, there was still, it was a different atmosphere than Quicksand where, you know, you were talking about how the, the, the record label people were asking you to decipher what the fuck is going on. <laughs> like, that's what it was like with Quicksand. They didn't know what the hell we were. So they, they just would just go, oh, that sounds great. You know what I mean? Things had kind of changed at that point um so they were a little bit more discerning about how loose they were going to be so we ended up getting a producer that um had done uh, a, a bon jovi's successful record for them so um you know that sounds really cheesy we thought it might be like funny to work with i mean funny is maybe not the right word but an interesting choice to work with someone that had done this giant pop record um while and you know, I really had you know, not that Bon Jovi was like suffering, but this was like a comeback record for him. It was like "It's My Life," na na na, that song. So he kind of was he wasn't like in the wilderness, but he needed a hit. And this dude, Luke Eben, made this record with fucking John Bon Jovi. Listened to him and turned it into something cool. So I guess the logic was is like, if we're in control, we we don't need to make a a lo-fi record right now Th that is not the aesthetic that's going to get us played on the radio so w it's not like quicksand like recorded at don fury's time it just the the atmosphere has changed so let's work with the fucking guy that's going to like it's my life us and see where that takes us and um i think in a lot of ways i fought it and was really pissed at uh, our um at our producer because i felt like he just really took uh, some aesthetic control away that I, I didn't think it would go that far. And so it was 
there were times where I was like really just pissed and felt um, angry about the whole thing and sort of powerless, you know, where certain things are being taken away from you. Um, but that was sort of the process. And, you know, when the record came out, um, I felt uh, ultimately I was like, all right, people are going to dig this or they're not going to dig it. You know, that that's what it's going to be. And um, I had given it my best you know, and, and went through all the different things. And I felt like I'd taken some, you know, kind of pursued things that I, I wanted to do. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's any project you do. I, I think anybody is like, at a, you, you fucking do everything you can. And at some point you just got to go, this fucker's done, go. And, and, and it's just going to be, what's going to be. So, um, with that, it was really interesting because I think the benefit, I think the, the production is actually good. I think it's, you know, even though I was, I felt it was too slick, I think it's really cool. And I think it made it more palatable for certain people to understand it and to, you know, make the connection to what we were doing, how it was fit in the, in the, the kind of climate at the time. And yet how it was totally different from anything else that was coming out at that time, because, you know, I was sort of an established, uh, if not identity, I mean, the reason they were wanted to do a rival schools record is because I had a reputation and a, and a way of doing things that um, I had worked on, you know, and, uh, and I brought in people that were, were good and compliment complimentary to that. And uh, I felt in the United States, while they did a lot of the kind of send the shit out to, to college radio kind of thing, they did not do the real work. The real work is sending it to the record, uh, to the, the radio stations. And they never did that. So I was a little pissed. Yeah, that it would. There was no single. They just didn't. They would. Whatever the politics were behind it, they just weren't down to take the risk on a on a song for us at radio. So you know, in the United States, we kind of like made do with um, the kind of quicksand sort of audience that were still down, and uh, you know, we made fans, of course. Uh, and we, you know, we toured with dashboard confessional who were like huge at that time, you know, and, you know, might've won fans in that realm too, but we didn't have the power of the record label behind us, except in like tour support and kind of like material means like that, but not in promotional means that I think were effective. Um, but in contrast with that in Europe, they did, they did do a single, and we had a success, you know, we were pop, I was on fucking MTV a bunch and was doing all kinds of press and BNME gave us a great review, which like when something like that happens, a whole different world opens up. And so, um, while in the United States, it was sort of, a similar, like a less than experience in quicksand, you know, um, cause it wasn't like we no longer, we didn't appeal to the hardcore audience where quicksand did. Um, so it was like more like a loyalist kind of following and, you know, mixed with, you know, hard won fans, I guess. Um, but in Europe, there was just random people, you know what I mean? Like that just heard it on the fucking radio or saw it on MTV and, and, and it became a thing, you know, and that was really great because it was awesome to reach people that, you know, quicksand never had a pop moment like that. You know, being on Beavis and Butthead is, is cool but it was not like a popular moment, you know, like every quicksand fan, we fucking worked it for that fan. Um, like it wasn't not handed to us relative to, 
you know, if you have like a buzz bin or, you know, some shit like that, which sounds like meaningless words to someone younger no, than don't worry. 30. No, but I mean, <laughs> I'm sure I definitely saw Thorn in My Side on Headbangers Ball. Yeah, that's cool. And that's, that will get you, you know, people kind of go like, all right, well, that's legit. You know what I mean? But it's not the same as like being played on the radio around America. You know, like we, we get played in New York, we get played in Los Angeles if we had a city that we got played on the radio, yes, we would have a bigger following in that city. But we were like, a, you know, for all intents and purposes, we were not a pop group. Um, or pop by pop, I mean popular. We were like a you know cult kind of thing, even at that time, um, which is great. Which is great. You know, I'm, I'm grateful for that. But I mean, if you want to use the the the, you go on a major label for you know probably any number of reasons, but the best thing you can get out of them is that they have access to the radio and with rival schools, that was not really you exercised in the United States. Although I'm like, I'm not bitching. They spent money on our tour buses and everyone was very cool. And we got to make a video or two and, you know, but it was really Europe was the driver. And so we would go over to England and we could, you know, play, you know, we sold out the Astoria. We were like, we were kind of were happening. I would walk, you know, in my general thing, I usually can see, recognize someone that's going to recognize me in some way. You know what I mean? Like I get randomly, but in, in, I would walk around London at that time or, you know, bigger cities in, in Europe and just randoms would fucking, you know, they're like, how the hell is this guy or this girl into what I'm doing? You know? So that was fun. I mean, it wasn't so much like I, I couldn't handle them. I wasn't like so famous. That I couldn't handle the pressure or anything. It was just more like, that's fucking cool. This person like does not know who minor threat is. This person has no fucking idea who the Chromax are and they're into my new band. They don't know about any of this shit. And they're just like hearing this music. And that is a new connection. And that came by virtue of, uh, you know, whether it was MTV or an, a review in the enemy, like that was a good, that was a cool experience. And, uh, and so, you know, and also I was just having a lot of fun. I really loved the guys I was with in, in rock schools. We all had a lot of fun together and, um, and in, in, in enjoyed the experience. What's interesting too, is the, that time period, 2001, things are booming, you know, you've got this, you know, Europe, which I, you know, sometimes, you know, like you said, champions those records and having that reaction, I do think that happens today because of the internet and access to these things. Like someone, I sometimes post about an old record and I'll get a message and saying, Hey, I'm 14. And I just listened to this for the first time and this changed my life, you know, and that's crazy. So I can see that kid coming up to you in London and like, maybe that somehow got them on a trail, you know, maybe that started yeah. oh, and absolutely. that's what I get so pumped on. Cause it's like, I don't care who comes in. Like I, people get mad about Jimmy Eat world. They play the middle, people stay for the middle, then they leave. I'm like, good. They bought the ticket. They bought a shirt so I can still hear, you know, for me, this is heaven, you know, or <laughs> whatever song, you know? Yeah. Like, and the middle is a fucking great song. It's such a jam. You know, that's right. It's like, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> like what, if you're not, it, you're not a fucking real person if you can't just, you know, I mean, I'm sure there's people that are so fucking grumpy that don't want to hear it, but that's a fucking great song. Come on. Right. But um, even that, like that kid coming up to you in London, maybe that started them where maybe they did go to rough trade and go to a different section or maybe that like, oh, for sure. I love that. Yeah, for sure. 
and and that happened with quicksand too like we toured with uh white zombie and uh and anthrax and i was apprehensive about touring with these metal bands because you know to to me like that was not our lane you know i didn't really I, 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 that wasn't my vibe i was more in some sort of like yeah post-punk sort of like uh not just like in some ways like metal was just sort of like too base for what we were doing but yet we played those shows and fucking people uh you know it changed our lives you know what i mean and not not saying like i'm not trying to like pat myself on the back or to my that ha- that's happened f- to me for, for from other things that just like randomly came across my in my field of view and changed how i perceived you know that, that changed my path you know and uh and as a musician or as an artist in any form, that's super gratifying. I mean, because it's been done for you. That's why, you know, you, you would, I, I would, I mean, I guess it takes all types, but I think generally artists that are doing cool shit and whatever medium you want to pick came across something that made them say like, I could do this or like, I, I want to do this. You know what I mean? I'm inspired to, to have this effect on someone else. Um, you know, and, and, uh, to different degrees. So, so I, I felt like, yeah, that shit's amazing. And, and, and that, that's, that has happened for me, you know? And so like to pass it on I've, and I meet people, it's like, dude, when I, you know, when I heard that record, I just totally changed my whole thing. It led me to this, that, and the other. So that's, that's, that's the beauty of it. And I hear it also from, you know, my musician peers, you know, like, um, you know, guys like in that kind of that uh, grouping of bands, you know, all those vagrant bands. And, you know, there was a reason like Chris took uh, rival schools on tour, you know, it wasn't because we like beat his manager down, you know, with our fucking promo package. It's like he was a fan, you know what I mean? And um, and he, sh- you know, put us in a position of, of like respect and and. Uh, put us in a, in a, in a good spot and, and gave us, gave people a chance to like to check out my new thing. And, um, you know, that comes from that, you know, among artists and peers, you know, your, your, that conversation is, is so, uh, vital, you know, and, and so important and, and, uh, nourishing, you know, I will admit I did. Um, when I was in college radio, I, um, lied to the major label that was working pitch shifter and I said, yes, I totally want to go see Pitch Shifter. It was because you guys were playing. <laughs> and so I remember That's them great. being like, you showing up early? I'm like, hell yeah, I'm showing up early because I want to get a good spot for Quicksand. Um, uh, so, but but those, uh, I, I've always wanted to ask about a couple of these songs. And I usually don't do this, but I just think it makes, uh, I would love to. From, from Manic, can you talk about Simpleton and talk about that song, talk about that? the chorus anything else you kind of think about if if someone said simpleton to you uh simpleton um i guess i loved i remember i loved playing it live back at that time because it just has this kind of immediate groove um and uh there's some restive i guess i'm talking about it music musically uh i just feel like it has just some nice uh kind of groovy parts a lot of the quicksand stuff especially i think on manic compression just has a lot of moves so you're just kind of like i'm doing i'm over here now i'm over here now i'm over here you know what i mean there's just like a lot of musical movement to create 
sort of a sensational, you know, edit, you know, uh, and I think that song just lays back a little bit more. And maybe that's why I called the simpleton, you know, not that it's like that simple. Um, and, uh, and, and I think the chorus was kind of big. I felt maybe in some way the chorus had some appeal at, at the time, uh, you know, this kind of like big, you know, quiet, quiet, loud kind of extreme. I'm thinking the lyrics is built up inside. I can't really remember exactly if I had some lyrical angle on it. Um, as a guitar player for me, probably, it's more about the, like the riff of that chorus. Like I remember just being like, I have to play this immediately. You know? <laughs> yeah. The chorus riff is good. It just sounds, it feels fun to play that. Right. So yeah, when I'm doing the song, it's like this kind of like kind of rolling down a river kind of vibe. Now that I'm thinking about it. And then all of a sudden it just gets fucking hairy. And you know what I mean? Like you, you see that thing and like, Oh yeah, we're just having a cool time on, you know, on a canoe trip. And then what you don't know is it's fucking Niagara Falls is like right around the corner. <laughs> totally. It's I like, talk, it's I that talk about that. Like jumping off a cliff. Yeah. Like I love that feeling of a song. Yes. That's definitely yes, simple. Um, freezing process from slip. Now one note too. Did you know that there's an S missing from process on Spotify? Oh damn no! I'll have to have uh, I have to report that back to HQ. Yeah, I think Quicksand HQ. I was surprised. I was like, did I have this wrong? Did I write process wrong? Forever? Ah, no. I got I got to get a bro on that. No, I did, I did not know that. Um, yeah, I like how chill process. this song is. Yeah, yeah, it's a cool. It's a it's a relaxing. I, I think it's like uh, sort of Fugazi influence. You know, one of our motifs was like we're going to be a heavy metal Fugazi. Um, and I think that one maybe takes on something, but it also has a bit of a shoegaze vibe to it. Cause we were very into, uh, yeah, my buddy Vanton and ride. Like we, we, we definitely saw ourselves in a way as a hardcore ride and a heavy metal Fugazi. And it's kind of like somewhere in between those two. Um, but I, I, I think the lyrics are really good. Um, and, uh, you know, we're pretty you know, at the time, like just, I was really, I think I was writing some kind of cool personal ish lyrics. I'll, you know, there wasn't like some story, but just like, you know, dealing with like what it was like to be me at that time. And, um, you know, trying to find a way forward, you know, especially we were coming into this major label world now. So now I was like a professional musician and had accepted money from this contract. And so now I'm, I'm, going to have to put out this big record and it's going to be successful or it's going to fail and all this kind of shit. And I don't know how old I was, but I was probably, you know, uh, you know, grappling with, uh, you know, that pivot. Um, and so I think it probably speaks to that a bit. And I really like the bridge in that one. It's got this kind of real awesome, simple, like, bah, 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 bah. it's not me. I think it just feels like really, I, whenever we play that song live, I just really love that part. And I sometimes will just let the audience sing it, but um, it's really fun just to be open and, and uh, kind of sing about yourself in this kind of uh, way that is real, but uh, also, you know, if everyone can feel it like that. That's a good, that's a good feeling. Yeah. I like that one. I want to switch to rival schools and mention, uh, can you talk about travel by telephone? And that's that part when, when I first heard it, maybe this is the Bon Jovi guy, but just the way that it comes in, um, I don't know. It's, it's still, 
we would play it at the, you know, if I was DJing in New York City, we would play it and it just like, it just had this oh shit moment anytime it came on. Can you talk about that sort of opening and then just the song itself? Yeah, that's funny you should say that because um, the opening of the record to start, I mean, the opening of that song, it starts with this snare fill and this kind of like open guitar part. But you also, if you listen, uh, you'll hear someone kind of screaming like, ah! that's what a scream sounds like. Um, (laughs) (laughs) And that person screaming is me because I'm so fucking pissed off at the, uh, the producer because he's like guiding me through these backing vocals that I think are bullshit. Um, But you know, the record labels like, I I feel like I'm just being fucking raped here. Um, You know, like I'm supposed to entertain these fucking dumb Bon Jovi ideas. And, uh, you know, and then if I do them, I'm going to have to fight for them not to be included. Um, but at the same time, I'm being a fucking pain in the ass. So, uh, you know, there's that too. So that it starts with a very primal and real scream that song. And so it's perfect that the the record opens with that. Um, and I, I should say in, in, in retrospect, if, if Luke Eben is listening, you know, I think at some points, like, you know, either I or maybe Ian or someone had said something about, you know, we something bad about him. He was just trying to do his job. You know what I mean? And, and maybe his, his way of handling me or the other guys wasn't, um, would have been cooler if it was me, you know what I mean? But I don't know, you know, he was trying to like do his job the best he could protect his own ass and use his own taste and whatever powers of persuasion or manipulation to get his, you know, to cover his bases. Uh, I thought he was an asshole at the time. Uh, and that scream felt really good. And I think that song's just, I think that song's really great. I'm really proud of it. It always sounds good. It sounds good acoustically, which is, is always a, a good test of, of a song. And the title I took from a, a Sid Barrett line in, um, I forget the name of the song, but it's on Piper at the Gates of Dawn. He has a line. It says traveling by telephone, which just really kind of popped for me. I love that. What's also yeah. great is that both Quicksand and Rival Schools had, you know, records after these ones. You know, you had in- Interiors, mm-hmm. um, which mm-hmm. I think is great. It feels really 70s to me, um, which mm. I felt, you know, I just it just felt good to hear something, you know, f- with that unit. And then same thing with Rivals to have pedals. And I think a deep cut that maybe not a lot of people talk about, maybe they do, but I would love for you to talk about racing to red lights. Oh, that's one of my faves on that record. I think pedals has aged very well, actually. And I get a lot of praise for that one, you know, uh, from, from the homies when I travel around the world. Um, it's, uh, tra- racing to red lights. I think that that one's just cool. It's like, it sounds, it's, it's like one of the ones that I kind of wrote more like by myself, less, uh, where, where I kind of just had this, you know, I, it's just, it's a song, you know what I mean? Uh, it, it didn't evolve in through some like heavy process and, um, it just came out. I, I, it just came out. And also just that, you know, it always drives me nuts, uh, when people feel the need to drive fast all the fucking time, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and so I guess I wanted to voice that aggravation you know what I mean? Like some people just need to fucking shift the gears and drive the car as fast as fucking, body. I hate to see it. And I especially hate to be in a car with someone that has that driving style. Like, I, bi- dude. I, I biked around New York city for I don't know, 
10, 12 years, like for everything. Mm -hmm. And I would love it when someone would do that and they were trying to get to the tunnel and, um, I would, I would like bang on their window and be like, was it worth it? Was it worth it to get here? You know? And they would just get so mad. (laughs) Yeah. Because it's so freaking stupid. And I'm sorry, there's probably like, there might be, you might have some listeners like, dude, I love to drive fast. I don't care if I have to stop at the red light. It doesn't bother me to do that. I just love to drive as fast as fucking possible. As long as I'm driving, I want it to be as fast as possible because that's the kind of maniac fuck that I am. Whoever that person is, God bless you. Uh, but it's not safe. It's not even safe. Why are you doing that? It's not even safe. I mean, I, I, I guess people buy expensive, high performance cars and they're just dying but in the city, it's so funny because I'm like, you, dude, you just got to 25th Street. How do you feel? Yeah, Sixth Ave. Yeah, good job. You're a real you know? big, yeah, big, you're a big shot. race car driver, man. Yeah, oh yeah. There's everybody looking people. at you. There's eight million yeah. people here. No one gives an absolute shit. <laughs> yes. No, it, it drives me nuts. And so that song, even though I think it's like a pretty song it's like a nice song um and it, i think it, the, the motif of it is like more like um rather than aggravation more like friendly like friendly advice like hey dude you know you don't have to drive uh you know you don't have to go zero to 60 to drive to the next light it's it's all right like you know it's okay like more more that vibe you know what i mean As but you also hear me just a yelling bit. from the back <laughs> just- yeah but a little bit just like, dude, stop being such a dick. Right. It's not safe. Right. Um, I used to, I used to, when I would, I had to go down 2nd Avenue, 3rd Avenue, whatever the one to go uh, downtown after working in Midtown, I'd bike and then all the people trying to get the tunnel and sometimes I get cut off and I would, the best one would always just be like, are like, are you really trying to get to Staten Island that fast? They did not like that. Yeah. That was not a... No, people don't want to hear that, you know. <laughs> in Astoria, where I, I lived uh, in high school, uh, it's a big car culture. Like, at my high school, there was an auto shop. was, like, the whole basement of the school was auto shop because it's just, like, a community. You know, people just have their, their things. They fucking love cars, and so they want to, you know, and I'm trying to be understanding of it, but it's just, like, ugh, I, I, I hated it. I hate it. And so I, that, that song has got that out for me. And, <laughs> now I'm going to uh, laugh whenever I'm going to listen to it now. I'm going to see you like yeah, politely telling yeah. someone, all right, that, that, no, you've that, lived it. <laughs> totally. Um, last you've co- lived it. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Oh, I've been cut off many times. Um, drive, <laughs> bike, biking around the city. Uh, I wanted to mention something and we're almost done. I thank you again for the time to chat with me about this stuff. I've hope you had a good time so far. Oh yeah. My pleasure, Tom. For so, sure. Some records. Mm-hmm. I would love to talk about just the that experiment, that label. I mean, some of mm-hmm. my I remember getting the Air Type Eleven record in college, um, and never not knowing a thing, and putting it on and being blown away. I remember getting the Ghost, Six Going on Seven. Yeah. Um, I guess you know. I know that's a huge question, and I've mentioned a bunch of bands, but like, just what 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 itch did that scratch by starting that, and and um, what was that impetus in 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 '97? Uh, yeah, just wanted to start a record label, and and you know, I think I had at that point, yeah, what had left Quicksand or Quicksand. I, I was in this kind of in betweener period, and just seemed like a good time to to start putting out records. And uh, I had a couple friends that wanted to do it too. 
And I think we signed some really awesome bands um, that I wish had gotten, you know, you just don't know how this stuff's going to work, you know, sometimes. Cause I, I thought we were, we were putting out great records, but um, you know, we also didn't sign some bands that we probably should have. Um, but uh, I think we were putting out great shit and, and all the, the bands like, yeah, six one seven were amazing. Ghosts were amazing. Um, Hot water music. They, I mean, they, we didn't like break them exactly. So that, 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 sort of was a separate thing but that record's amazing which i actually produced uh no division um it was a lot of fun you know we we just we had a great time doing it and you know with each band you know a lot of them i was friends with already like Artie, for example uh in in uh aerotype 11 but aerotype 11's records were so great um and uh but you kind of get as a record label person, it's similar to being a producer. You, you have a role in their world and you want to do a great job for them and you share in their successes and you root them on. And it's, it's a very cool role to, to be, be in and uh, you know, just trying to like make people's thing work. And by doing that, it's also your thing. You know, so I, I really love that. Um, I wish we I wish we could have made some of these bands really big and famous. That would have been really fucking cool. Uh, so, you know, it did, that didn't really happen for us. So ultimately, you know, we, we kind of had to close our doors. Uh, but while we were doing it and I think that the, the work that we the records that we put out, I, I think are really, really solid and I'm and proud of and uh, and definitely look back on those days very fondly. I was just talking to Josh from six going on seven. We reconnected and talked about mm -hmm. that era. And obviously I've had Artie on and stuff, but it just, mm -hmm. I, I don't know. It, I don't think, I don't think looking back, it's like, I think you guys took a really great swing. I mean, I remember, I remember friends that worked at some, I just, you guys were taking these swings and it just, I just, I just always had a lot of respect. I'm like, they're really trying. This is not, they're not half-assing some of these releases. No, we were going for it, man. We wanted, we, we fucking love these guys. We, they would hang out with us at the, at the office. Like we wanted them to be successful and, um, you know, and I think they found audiences and got good reviews and stuff like that, but I wanted them to be fucking get up kids. I wanted them to be, uh, you know, save the day or, 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 you know, cause that was, that was what was happening at that time. And I thought the quality was there. Um, but we just never got on that role. Um, but I mean, God damn it. Six go on sevens. Both their records are fantastic. Uh, you know, even Eric Mingus was really cool. Um, we did a, a lot of cool things, uh, the exit, um, you know, and a lot of these people are still doing cool stuff and, and are real musicians and, you know, really, really kind of made a go of it. And, uh, th that's the kind of people I like to, to be, to be close to and to, and to get to know. So it was, it was awesome. And, um, you know, and then when it, when it kind of was, was, uh, when it was done, you know, it was all right. We, we, we had given it a, a damn good shot and, you know, and, and I'm proud of what we did. You, you, you were taking your triangle, you were taking your nails, you were taking your, right. <laughs> yeah. We're just doing, so that's the approach, man. We've got these tools. Let's fucking try to build something here. And, you know, I think we had a real culture and there's people from that time that are still 
friends that are still meaning to, you know, like me and Artie are, I'm still connected to all these people. And, you know, from my life story, you know, that's, that's my riches. You know what I mean? Like knowing these people, um, and having those connections and, and those, uh, you know, learning from people, uh, and, and, you know, giving, giving to people, you know what I mean? Like that's the, that's just being a human being. That's, that's, that's living, you know? So I, I feel rich from that. It would have been cool if the label would like, you know, had, you know, I wanted everyone to be huge on it, but really what, what we ended up with was just like putting out really good records and having a cool time and, you know, do, doing stuff that we were proud of and, and believed in. The world's fastest car stuff. I've, I've got a bunch of those mm-hmm. demos and obviously the, you know, kind of been traded. Has there been, have, did you release that stuff or you haven't, or just not time? Is there a reasoning why some of that stuff hasn't seen the world? Now the, there's one thing that I found recently that I don't think there's just enough. The material is just kind of spread over different studios. And uh, I don't think there's like a, a whole entire work um, that, that it's just like sort of a few songs here, a few songs there. Uh, but uh, someone sent me a link to a set of world's fastest car in Tokyo and, uh, God damn it. We were so good. It was insane. Like we, I mean, for the time, like, it's just like, it was like, I think at the time that I was saying to you earlier, like the record label just didn't really want to deal with me making a good band at that time. Like no matter what they just, they were just, you are not whatever you're doing, good or bad, you're sitting here. Um, you're in the waiting room. Uh, another Ian, let's keep making it about Ian. About Ian. Um, but I watched this this video of us in Japan and fuck, we were so good. It was insane. It was just like perfectly on point, kind of Foo fighters but with a, um, you know, kind of, yeah, definitely like stuff from Quicksand and Fugazi and kind of, I really awesome mix. I mean, by Foo Fighters, I wasn't like following Foo Fighters, but in the way that Foo Fighters were like grabbing from the same group of influences, but contemporary, but contemporary at that time. So I, I, you know, if I were to, I don't know if I want to go as far as say like bitterness because I accept like what happens, you know, in, in life, you're better not to, to let, let anything, you know, grow moss on anything like that. Or I don't know if that's the expression, but fuck, I wish that someone had just given us the light at that time because we were, you know, ultimately I think world's world's fastest car kind of died on the vine when it really would have been cool if we had put out a record at that time. Um, You know, ultimately it it ended up folding, you know, kind of some of the better songs folded into, um, into rival schools. Use for glue was a world's fastest car song. Right. Yeah. And so that, that ended up being the main song for rival schools. So, you know, and at that time I had Alex uh, Payne from Chain of Strength in the band and Artie was in the band and we had this drummer, Eric Stams, who was a fucking awesome drummer and it just couldn't sustain itself in this sort of like holding pattern world. So in that way, at that moment, you know, you, you people talk about major labels and you working at TBT, you probably saw this enough. Uh, sometimes a major label will just like fucking ruin your shit. You know what I mean? And and not, it's nothing personal. Or it's the wrong it just, week for the single, you know? You know what? It, We've got two other like singles that. at rock and this third, you know, Rival Schools one. You know what? Uh, we'll get 20 stations for it. That fucking happens. Yeah, that happens. And then, and then the, the, 
it just, and that's it. You know what I mean? So it's just a lot of things are left up to fate. You know what I mean? And, and, uh, and that just for, I, for the most part, I, I can't, I've done so many different kinds of record labels, you know, real indie DIY major labels and sort of in betweeners. And, um, you know, for the most part, it's like, I, I've, I've done, done well because I'm still doing this, doing this music thing, you know what I mean? And, and I, I love it and I'm and blessed for it. You're still making music. You still get to make music and that's kind of a gift yeah. in itself for fans and yourself, right? Oh man. I, I mean, it's insane. It's just a blessed. I mean, like anybody who's doing what they love, it's not work. It's, it's just, you know, expression and, and, uh, you know, I've, I've with music have fallen into that sweet spot. And so I'm super grateful for, for all that. And, and, you know, like I said, I borderline bitter about that one thing, you know, it, it's all good. It's all par for the course because, you know, you make your own dumb decisions. You could have, you know, someone's bitter at you because you said uh, yes when you should have said no or, you know, or, or you, you zigged when you should have zagged and that affects someone else. You can't like really ever thread the whole thing in retrospect. You just have to kind of appreciate where you're at and uh, and be grateful for the, you know, the, 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 the positive experiences and the things you've learned and the people that you know. I love that. Last question. What would you be doing right now if you weren't talking to me? Um, making dinner. I mean, that's what time it is. <laughs> so now, now all of a sudden I'm feeling fucking hungry, Tom. What the fuck? Um, yeah, that'd be it. Nice. Um, thank you, Walter, for doing this. Um, super, super honored to be able to have your time, um, your precious time and, um, anything that, um, I can do to help, you know, your vans, uh, your show that you have or any other new stuff, you know, always, always down. Thank you so much. I really appreciate that. And, and it's a pleasure talking to you. Hour and a half of your life, Walter. I appreciate it. Your, your voice is, um, uh, matters. And I'm so happy that you're a part of this podcast now. My pleasure, man. Be, be good, man. We'll talk soon. 